This is a CNA podcast. Doors are closing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Work It. I'm Adrian Tan, and I'm Crispina. Today, we're going to talk about a taboo topic: money. Adrian, has anyone asked you how much you make? And if they did, what's your usual response? Oh yeah, especially during the earlier post NS days, we were very blunt with each other, trying to find out how much exactly you are making. Right now, it's usually from aunties over Chinese New Year. <laughs> But having said that, my kids did ask me before. Initially, I was a bit hesitant, you know, self worth. Being judged, and especially when aunties would ask you, you might be cautious that they may be comparing you with some of your cousins、yeah. that are doctors or lawyers.、Yeah. But as I grow older, I guess my skin got thicker, and also knowing that none of my cousins are doctors and lawyers really <laughs> help, lah.、Okay. But having said that, it is something that is still very much unique to the individual. And I recall something that Jerry Seinfeld actually said. His kid also asked him, "Daddy, Daddy, are we rich?" And his reply was. I am rich. You are not. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess it's really up to the individual to consider. Yeah. When my boys were aware of money, they would ask my husband and I how much we made, and we always demur. For example, I would say I make a thousand dollars, and then they'd be like, "Wow, that's a lot of money." <laughs> so kids have a different perception of things, but we generally feel that talking about salaries is so difficult. Even if you had a pay raise, we don't say anything about it. We just say, "Oh, I got a pay raise." You don't even want to say how many percent you got. Yeah, even until today, when you get a promotion or pay rise, the first thing you get from HR is to remind you everything is private and confidential. I suppose there's good reasons for it.、Yes. How someone is paid can be very different depending on their experience, their age, and in Singapore, of course, we have an NS obligation, so you don't want to think, "Hey, you know, why am I getting lesser?" Than the same person who is in the same department as well. Yeah, that's what we want to get into as well. Whether this transparency about salaries is a thing we should do or not. Then there's also the question of budget. For example, HR usually has a number in mind when they hire someone. It's like a threshold, and they would definitely try to work around it. So if someone comes in and they're willing to accept a lot less than their threshold, they're like, "Great, we saved money on this person." The thing is, money. Is a big driver. Money is a big driver when it comes to people looking for different offers. And if someone offers you more, you're definitely going to take that job, right? That's the key thing that we're talking about here. For sure. So today we want to talk about what we should be doing better when it comes to negotiating salaries, especially when we are moving to a new role or a new job. What are some of the best practices, and how can we strike a balance between getting more and being realistic? And the guest to walk us through this is Samantha Ng, who is a certified career coach. Welcome to Work It, Samantha. Hi, Adrian. Hi, Crispina. Thanks for having me here today. Samantha, recently we have seen the Purcell Kelly salary guide and details a long list of occupation in various industries. Just one scan through, you can see that roles like finance related ones, tech related ones, and even logistic. Upper bank can go up to twenty thousand plus for senior roles.、Mm. How much value should we place in all these guides? After all, different companies have different consideration, and when people ask you how much am I worth, how do you even answer that question? 
Wow, this is a very tricky question. How much am I worth? I think whenever someone asks me, how can I give a good range for myself when I'm being offered or if I'm going to go for a pay raise, I think a very good reference to take will be what is the market rate right now? Like mm. Usually I'll encourage them to probably look into, hey, for your type of role, in your type of industry, in similar demographics, what is the market rate looking at? I think that would be a very good range to get started if you are talking about how much your role, your skills are being valued in the market space right now. So are there like websites that people can go to find this market rate? Normally, how do you guys do it? Okay, so there is really a lot of sources. For one, just now Adrian mentioned, there's a report. Then sometimes you have job portals that gives you the range. Mm. Beginning of this year, Straits Time came out with this salary guide. Oh, yeah. So you can compare your salary with your peers. Whether are you the top medium or bottom medium for the type of role. There are a lot of resources out there. Right. So that is one way to get started. I will always encourage job seekers to really reach out to the company. So that's where networking comes in. Because when you are speaking to people working in the company itself, yeah, they may not give you the exact figure, but more or less, they can give you a ballpark range. So that's where we want to get into the space rather than assuming. So the information will be a little bit more accurate. So that means you actually have proper data before you go and tell someone, oh, I think I'm worth this much. You can say, hey, I went to the salary guide. This is what it said, blah, blah, blah. Exactly. The government actually does for public service, publishes the range. I think big companies do that. It's just that the range can be from 5,000 to 12,000. Oh, yeah, it is. Especially if you look at a job posting on my career future, the range is ridiculously wide. Yeah. Where exactly do you stand? On the bottom, on the middle, in the upper range? How does one even identify where would I be suitable for? And given the consideration of all the variables, the demographic, the kind of company that you're looking at, in order to make a good judgment call. Yeah. Mm. So when it comes to questions like this, during interview itself, I will get all job seekers to really have conversations with, usually in the earlier part of the interview, whereby the HR call you up and ask you what is your expected salary. This is the time whereby you will state a range, all right? So everyone mm. must give them a range, don't give them a figure. So once you give them a range that is within what you saw is advertised, this is a good time for you to ask them back the same question. May I understand what is the budget allocated for this particular role? Ooh, that's a good tip. So it is always a conversation. Most of the time, job seeker will find themselves at a losing end is because they fail to ask questions at every stage of the interview. So this is still something that I advocate, have conversation with whoever that is calling you. It could be the recruiter, it could be the internal HR team. Ask. The worst case scenario is they tell you, I cannot tell you. Yeah. <laughs> That's the worst. But the best case scenario is they will tell you, yeah, your expectation is something that is within our budget, is open for negotiation. And then you know that, hey, you are on the right track. Right. So I will always encourage everyone to ask. I must say that I'm very poor when it comes to negotiating my salary. I don't bargain for things at the market in Thailand or whatever. I'll just like, okay, sounds reasonable. I'll just take it. I'm sure I'm the minority. I hope I'm the minority. The thing is, sometimes they take a pay cut. Because you're actually moving to a completely different role. What are some of the factors you think, Sam, that I should be looking at when I'm looking for a job? Just now I caught a word that you mentioned, which was pay cut. It really depends on what situation. So for example, in today's context, we are seeing a lot of people doing a career switch, right? Mm. So it could be from a non-tech role to a tech role. Yes. Now, 
it really depends on your starting pay when you get started on the tightrope. But whether you got experience or not, if you are doing a career switch, I will still advocate that everyone be looking at the market rate. So, for example, I'm switching to a completely different role mm. that is nothing related to my past experience. I should still be looking at what is the market range for a junior to mid entry level, let's say, data scientist. Mm. I shouldn't be getting lower than a junior or entry level data scientist in that context. Right. So, always benchmark yourself against that. Now, if you feel that your past experience has something to offer to that particular role, for example, soft skills, stakeholder management, leadership, you are leading a team now and you have that experience, mm. then this is the part whereby you can upsell yourself a little further. Uh-huh. So instead of that range, maybe you can be aiming for the higher end of that range. Right, not like a junior role. Like yeah, slightly more. correct. So if let's say the advertised rate is 6000 to 10000 so instead of asking for six, seven thousand and you know the skills that you have to offer is a lot more, then you can ask for the higher range, maybe nine thousand or even ten thousand. Mm. Would there be other things that one can also take into consideration at the bargaining table? Because obviously salary is one key component, but for some others, perhaps the entire package which would include things like number of annual leave, employee stock option shares, for instance. What are some of the items that would be worth looking into as part of your cuts to put on the table? Mm. That's a very good question because when it comes to negotiating, I always think of it as a discussion because when we use the word negotiating, especially for people who are not in business, they find that it's very daunting. It feels like it's a cutthroat process. So I always say that it is a discussion process between two parties to come to a win-win situation. So when it comes to remuneration package, like what Adrian has mentioned, it is more than just the take-home salary. Mm. Depending on your role, sometimes there's overtime pay. You should also be looking at bonuses. Some companies offer sign-on bonus, there's variable bonus, there's fixed bonus, there's 13-month bonus, right? If you are in a sales or you bring revenue for the organization, you will be looking at commission structure. Mm. If you are joining certain startup, you will have things like employer stock options. You can also be looking like allowance, travel allowance, telephone allowance. Mm. You can also be looking for benefits, medical benefits, dental benefits, learning and development benefits. You can also be looking at leave, annual leave. And with recent change in work arrangement, you can be looking at work from home, hybrid model. And of course, there's one more thing that most people don't look into is the freedom to do external work. This is something very interesting because you can have that freedom to create another source of income for yourself and that's how company allows that. So when it comes to negotiating your offer, there is so many components and it differs for everyone because our life stage is different. Maybe for a parent, flexibility is important. So work from home is I want it. But maybe for someone else who doesn't have kids, they don't think that it's necessary. So you need to negotiate based on your life stage, what is important to you at that particular point in time. So if I'm looking for a job and let's say I have kids and work from home is a deal breaker for me. And the company says, hey, if you can work from home or work from anywhere, five days a week or whatever, then that has some value to it. So you cannot ask me for a lot of salary or bonus. You know what I mean? They place the value. Does that get a bit murky or there should be some transparency as to how we apportion value? There's still nothing in the market like that to talk about (laughs) how much is work from home worth and things like that. But I guess it depends on the nature of the work and of course, productivity, how much you can bring to the table. For example, if you are super bad-end, you are doing work that is super bad-end, people don't have to see you, then I guess that's okay. Something that I encourage a lot of workers is that 
it's good to have work from home. I think having flexibility is important in our current context. But at the same time, you also need to be visible. Mm. If you are talking about wanting to get promoted, you have to be visible. That is human nature because out of sight, out of mind. Right, and that's the trend you are seeing as well, right? Yeah, because sometimes people oversell the concept of work from home is the best thing on earth. I don't doubt that. But at the same time, depending on who you are working with. Mm. Because you need to understand your boss could be from a different generation, have different values. So having some visibility in the office is important. So there's this DBS research of about 1.2 million customers. Four in 10 say that their salaries have not kept pace with inflation. The bottom line is everyone wants more Manila. Let's just face that, right? (laughs) But it's not possible, isn't it? Like for companies to raise salaries across the board, if they have deep pockets like the Amazons of the world, Googles, TikTok, I heard their ad revenue is through the roof. If I ask them for $15,000, sure, they can pay me. But if you're, let's say, in public service, or, I don't know, media. <laughs> cough, cough. <laughs> what do you think about companies adjusting salaries to keep pace with cost of living? Is that a thing people are talking about now? Like, hey, come on, man, you have to top up. Yeah. If I have to tell a cohort truth to all the listeners, I believe that our pay raise will never be able to beat inflation. Oh. That being said, that's the reason why I think when it comes to career planning and career management, it's very important for us to understand what can we do now so that our skill sets get expanded. Mm. And with skill set expanded, with portfolio expanding, mm. not only can you have more reason to ask for a pay raise or increment, it also makes you a lot more marketable. You can pivot easily in any kind of crisis instead of just focusing on what you are doing day in and day out. You really have to expand on your skills or adjacent skills so that you can give yourself that vertical. So increase your income. Don't just increase your salary. There's a difference. Uh, Increase your value as well, right? Yeah, for sure. When you increase your value, your income will increase as well. Mm. And of course, there's also interesting stories where some people at the negotiating table, especially when they are looking to go to greener pasture, I have another offer, 40% jump, 50% jump. Double my salary. How does one even check and confirm that this is true or it is just merely negotiation tactic? Are this still happening? Do you hear of stories of people using that as a means to justify and get more salary? For sure. I hear of many of these stories, in fact. But for the clients that I work with, I encourage them, don't fluff things up. You can tell the truth, but truth can be told in many ways. So as a coach, I'm someone who doesn't like to fluff things up. So it's important because I see some bad practices for job seekers. They have a few offers. So they will be using offers to counter offer and counter offer and counter offer again within organization. So one thing to take note is that the world is big, but the world is also very small, Mm. especially depending on what industry you are in. So it's important for you to still build a good credibility for yourself. If let's say I have two companies offer right now, you can use one offer to counter the other one, but you shouldn't do it more than two times or three times. Okay, so for instance, if I have an offer from a rival company, so I can go to my boss, and I can say, hey, this guy offered me 40% more. No, no, don't say the guy offered me. It's dangerous. Okay. So you can go to your boss to say that, especially performance review. So we are talking about pay raise here, right? Yes. So during performance review, or maybe ask for an earlier check-in with your boss. So this is the time for you to have conversation with your boss. Mm. You let the boss know this is what you have been doing. So your achievement, your outcomes that you have been doing, back it up with facts 
figures and statistics, uh, everyone. So this is something that you have been doing. Is there a possibility for you to be considered for a pay increment? Okay. And you are looking at this range. So see what your boss have to say because I think it's fair for you to have that kind of conversation. Then whatever response that the boss give you, you will see whether it's a good time to bring out that you are looking for an expanded portfolio, a higher pay, yeah. etc. But one thing to take note is never review the company that offer you. <laughs> Don't do that until you have signed on the dotted line. But I feel it's quite common, you know. There are people who come and say, okay, so XYZ offered me this much. Can you meet? And then there'll be some negotiation about meeting or not meeting. And if let's say they meet, they go back to that company and say, okay, they met. So you're saying that's not a great thing to do. Like. You can do it one time. Don't ah, do it more than that. Okay. Yeah. When I was in recruitment, one guy actually did more than that. He asked for slightly more. Went back to the hiring manager, the hiring manager said, okay, and then came back to the package. And then he came again and said, actually, I think I want just a bit more. And everyone was pissed yeah. and he eventually was dropped. Anything more than one time would be very, very negative. And some people do that every year. As long as they're unhappy, they would say, oh, I could go to this place for double the salary. <laughs> I'm like, why, just go here? then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think there's no point to say things that isn't factual. So this is what I mean. Don't fluff things up because the industry is small. Mm. If your boss have a lot of visibility, they have enough network, the boss will know. So you're actually not giving yourself a good leeway in the organization should you decide not to leave. Right, right. Yeah, it will affect you. Because you're trapping yourself in a way. Uh. Yeah, correct. So still have adult conversation, adult discussion. I think that is still one of the best practices moving forward. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Stephen Chia, and I host the new season of our podcast, Heart of the Matter. Join me in getting right to the heart of the headlines as we speak with experts and newsmakers to delve deep into the most talked about news developments. Look out for our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Just coming back to an earlier thought that I had, especially when you're taking a pay cut, it is possible also that some industries inflate incomes. That means they actually pay you a heck of a lot of money. I know TikTok pays like, I don't know, I got a lot of money. But that's like such an unreal situation. So actually you were paid a very inflated number in the first place. So you can't kind of compare. It's not apples to apples because it's a different industry altogether. Most organization has a grading band, mm. a pay grade. So especially during pandemic, because all the acceleration into IR 4.0 and what's not, we are still short of tech talents. So they could be offering you much higher pay and it could be at the higher end of the band. Mm. So meaning to say there is a possibility for those who are being graded on grading band, especially those who are working in government or step boards, every one of you will be in certain grading band. If you are being offered at the higher end of your grading band, then there's a possibility that your pay increment will be lesser until your promotion to the next band. Recently, of course, we have also seen a lot of big tech companies doing all this layoff across mm. different functions, with TikTok being one of the exceptions here. But do you also see that perhaps big tech companies are paying people a huge premium upfront? Because in event when things hit the fan, they are probably going to be the first one to do yeah. all this massive layoff? When it comes to layoff, it could be they overhire. That's one. Mm. Number two, it could be because when they were hiring, they were hiring for certain products or certain product launch. Now, after maybe a few months or a year of testing, they realize that this is not 
revenue generating and they decide to close down the department and that's where people are being laid off. But the silver lining here is that if you are in the tech space and you have the relevant, competent tech skills, you are still very marketable in today's context because the whole world is still going through digital transformation. Mm. So if it's of any comfort to anyone who is currently affected right now, you will still be in a trendy scene and a trendy role. So yeah. it will be a matter of time that you'll be able to find somewhere that you are happy with. We talked about this in our introduction about pay secrecy. It's a big deal in Singapore. Like Adrian was saying, you don't talk about your pay. But in places like New York, pay transparency is gaining traction. The motivation is to reduce gender pay gap because women tend to be paid less. If you make it very clear, if I hire you for this position, regardless of gender, this is your ban, etc. And also there's equity among people who they're hiring. Do you think there's merit to being transparent about pay? I think the merit is you know how much you are worth and you will not be shortchanged. However, I also see that maybe at this stage, we are still not ready to deal with full transparency right? because you are opening up another set of challenges within the organization if you are too transparent up to the last digit that you know how much everyone is earning. Human nature, we will tend to compare. And when we compare, we always feel that we are better off. Our story is always the right story. So that emotion management part of things when people tend to compare will create a lot of other challenges. It will create a lot of unhappiness also, which you can't deal with. Or unjust. Some people will be saying that, I think I do more than you. Why am I getting paid the same or lesser? So how do you even justify efforts like this, right? So full transparency, I think it will be challenging. But partial transparency to understand that if you're in this grading band, this is the range. Mm. Then I think, okay, that is still quite fair. And I guess some form of transparency to also let people know how they climb from this amount to another amount in a very structured manner. So there is no pushback end of the day or end of the year when you try to ask for something because you have everything that is visible out there. Mm. Okay, Sam, just to wrap, what's your top maybe three tips when it comes to negotiating salaries? I think number one is you need to figure out your playground. Mm. You need to know how your organization is being structured. The moment you get into that company, it's important for you to understand how progression looks like. What does it look like? What is the success metric? What is the range or increment? So it's important for you, number one, to figure out your playground. Mm. Number two, after you figure out your playground, it's important for you to have a conversation with your supervisor, your boss. It's important to work hard, but if you are working hard in the wrong direction, then that's not smart. (laughs) So you need to work strategically towards where you want to be Mm. and you have to work closely with your boss. And number three, you must be able to present why you deserve that pay raise. Almost all organizations that I know, they care about these four things. The first is increasing top line. Am I making more money, more profits? So if you are in a role that can help to generate that revenue for the organization, that's how you can quantify them. Okay. Number two, organization will be interested in knowing how can I be more cost effective. Mm. So reducing bottom line. If let's say you're not in a revenue center, you're in the cost center, then you'll be talking about efficiency, productivity, money saved, right. man hours saved. Yep. So statistics and figures like that are important. Mm. Number three, companies will be interested to know how can I maximize my resources? Mm. Am I able to duplicate 
just by investing in this, am I able to generate a lot more things? Right. Number four, organization will be interested to know how they can provide an amazing customer experience so that they either retain businesses or attract more businesses. Mm. Right. So mm-hmm. these are the four things that organization mostly care about. So if you're able to quantify your role, your achievement, your values based on four of these, you should be on the right track. You can ask for more money, right, Adrian? Yeah, you can ask for more money. Yeah. So in a way, working from home by virtue of that, I'm already helping the company to save ah, money. Like. In a way, yeah. <laughs> so it really depends on your type of role. If let's say you are a client-facing role, then maybe the customer experience part there is that lack of human touch. I don't know. It really depends. But right, every right. role, you will usually be able to achieve at least two of this four. Yeah. So you quantify your achievement based on these four things. So facts, figures, numbers. Don't tell them that I think I've done well. I have yeah. participated yeah. in this project. <laughs> tell me what is the outcome of your doing. I've been here for so long. I deserve more money. Yeah. That's what I always hear. Yes, that's not enough. That is really not enough. Yeah. I recently read a post that Adrian posted, which I thought was very interesting. Some people say that they have 10 years of experience, but really maybe you just have one year but doing the same thing over 10 years. <laughs> It's good that you stay in an organization for that long, but I would like to know, has a company, employer, a boss, a supervisor, what does that mean Mm. in terms of results? I totally agree with you. I think we have to take ownership of our career journey, but I feel like good bosses will already know Mm. who are their people who are meeting all these targets, who are central to their function, who bring in the money. Shouldn't they? Well, that is an assumption. (laughs) Yeah, so when I talk to a lot of my coaches, I think one of the things that people don't look at, besides pay, the brand of the organization, I think one of the important considerations is choosing a good and competent boss. Right. You need to understand that in most organizations, there is a quota to number of people that they can promote. Yes. And your bosses are the ones that puts you forward to be considered. Mm. Now, if your boss is not competent enough to help you, then you are not going to get your promotion. So choosing the right boss is very important. Most people don't see that. Mm. They just want to take home salary. But you realize that you are stuck after a while. Yeah, except that some people also feel trapped. They can't change their boss, right? The boss doesn't go anywhere for 20 years. The guy is still there. (laughs) Yeah, then maybe it's time to consider a move on. So everybody really needs to learn how to manage and plan your career. And I think this is a direction that top leadership are trying to move into, creating career pathways that is transparent enough to retain talent as well. I do want to leave listeners with this thought. I know someone who started his first job at a top bank in Singapore. Starting salary, no experience by the way, $8,000. But he realised that the work was way too punishing. He was pulling in more than 60 hours a week. The stress was off the roof. So he decided to walk away from the good money and pick something that paid 40% less. This story reminds me that money is not all there is to it. And if someone pays you so much, my thinking is that they certainly want to extract maximum value. Adrian, what do you think? I remember reading somewhere that your salary is the bribe companies pay you in order for you to forget your dream. (laughs) But ultimately, back to what you said, I think it's more about how much you save versus how much you earn. You can be making 8k like the friend you mentioned, but be spending 16k using leverage from banks. I'm sure that is going to be way worse than making less serve Mm. than having surplus prior to your next paycheck. 
And you're right, to each their own and really depends on what you're trying to optimize for. If it's to max out your earning hour, go ahead, go for the 80 hour work week. But if it's something else, a high paying job may not be part of the equation. Ultimately, for each of us, we spend so much time at work, you should carry the optimal combination of your value, purpose, over and above the monetary rewards that you receive every end of the month. Yeah, because I for sure cannot be in a job that pays me a pot of money, but I'm miserable. I cannot. I simply can't. That's the way I look at things. I hope you got something useful out of this episode. Before we go, we want to inform our listeners that Workit will go on a break for December. Yay! We want to spend time with family, travel, and also rethink how we can bring you better content. But you can still listen to previous episodes. Our top listen episodes are our chat with Law Society President Adrian Tan, the topic on generational clash of cultures at work and how to deal with burnout at work. So do give it a listen if you haven't. The wonderful team behind this podcast is Joanne Chan, Jacqueline Chan, Daniel Lee, and I'm Crispina. And I'm Adrian Tan, and this has been Work It, brought to you by Channel News Asia. Have a good break, and we'll see you in 2023.